This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. Hello, hello, hello. This is Jackie again on the podcast Tushalicious Talk. And today we're going to talk about gun violence advocacy in an upcoming event at Scissortail next Sunday. And I have two community activists with me, Beth Furnish from Stillwater and Mason Godwin here from Oklahoma City. And I do a Quite a bit with Beth Furnish. She's connected to the League of Women Voters, the State League and the Stillwater League, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about all the organizations that you are connected to and why you are a community activist, please. Yeah. So my name is Beth Furnish and I live in Stillwater. Um, I've been pretty active in the League of Women Voters. I care a lot about uh, people voting. Um, So... So that's what drew me to the League of Women Voters. And they, they're one of the few organizations that help people get educated about candidates with candidate forums. And that information is hard to find in other, in other ways. Um, I'm also a volunteer with Moms Demand Action. Um, I got involved right around the time uh, when permitless carry was passed. Um, and I just, I started paying attention and taking an interest in the gun laws in our state then. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so for people who don't know, uh, can you just do a little quick synopsis of what permitless carry is? Yes, this is um, a law that first was vetoed by Governor Fallon. And then it was the first law that Governor Stitt passed uh, when he became governor. And it just, um, I actually like to think of it as um, like self-permitting or self-licensing because you no longer have to go to an agency to get a license. You are, it's up to you to figure out if you meet the criteria and you don't get any education about the gun laws. Um, so it's just, you're, you're on your own. If you're um, over 21 and you don't have prior felony convictions and there's a list of um Requirements. Yeah. Like there are some people who are not allowed to carry firearms and they are still not allowed to, but they have to kind of figure that out on their own. And if you're 18 with military experience, you can um, carry. In Oklahoma. Yes. Yep. 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 So if anyone, a side note here, if you have not seen the interview, the Jon Stewart interview with Senator Senator Nam, uh, please Google that. It is so hilarious. And um, so we also have Mason Godwin here, who is from Oklahoma City. And tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah. So um, I do a lot of volunteer work uh, with the Oklahoma County Democratic Party in Oklahoma. Uh, Democratic Party statewide. Um, I got involved with Moms Demand Action, I would say about maybe almost two years ago. And um, since then, I've become the membership lead for the state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of my responsibility to, uh, you know, uh, recruit new volunteers, as well as keeping existing volunteers involved in, in what we're doing. Um, and keeping them active. So I've been in that role for about a year. Um, and really what drew me to Moms Demand Action and really to the uh, uh, gun violence epidemic, um, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail. Um, I have a, 
uh, three kids in public school mm-hmm. and my wife is an educator in public school. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, with the school shootings, um, that is something um, that really made me kind of get off the sidelines and want to get involved and active in finding a solution to this. Um, but yeah. So I applaud you for it, (laughs) for Moms Demand Action. And so you're over the memberships. Yes. So if someone wanted to become a member, how would they become a member? And is there a membership fee? No. So membership is really the wrong word to use. That is just my title, but we're all volunteers. So Moms Demand Action is a organization that is for anyone who wants to see um, gun violence uh, uh, ended in, in America. So you, you don't have to be a particular party affiliation. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks in Moms Demand Action that actually are gun owners. Mm -hmm. Um, we have Republicans, Democrats, independents, it doesn't matter if, if you want to see an end to gun violence and common sense gun laws passed, um, you can join Moms Demand Action. Um, and, and it really is as simple as you can download our app and we'll give that at the end. Um, so that's a good action. You can also text JOIN to 64433 and it'll take you to a website um, if you want to get involved with um, the Oklahoma chapter. And I will say too, like Mason and I are here. We're just representing ourselves. We're not here representing um, any of the organizations we volunteer with. So we're just sharing our own opinions. We're just having a conversation. Correct. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, on the league side, um, our our position on guns is pretty long. Um, It's probably about four paragraphs long, and it's an impact on issues, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Anyone can Google impact on issues, LWVUS, and it'll tell you. It'll come up with probably like a 200-page document on all of our positions on everything that we've ever taken a position on. But the position that uh, the statement I'm going to read right now is specifically on uh, the LWVUS position on guns. So the League of Women Voters of the United States believes that proliferation of semi-automatic and automatic weapons in the United States is a major health and safety threat to its citizens. The League supports strong federal measures to limit the accessibility and regulate the ownership of these weapons by private citizens. Licensing to include a waiting period for background checks, personal identity verification, gun safety education, and annual license renewal. The license fee should be adequate to bear the cost of education and verification. The league supports enforcement of strict penalties for improper possession of and crimes committed with handguns and assault weapons and allocation of resources to better regulate and monitor gun dealers. And again, this is not the full position. This is just what I thought was most prevalent. Um, And so I know that, Beth, you have like a pretty good idea uh, and maybe even some statistics on gun violence in the United States. So if I can hand it over to you and you can kind of give us what the overall picture in the United States is looking like right now. Yeah, actually, Mason has those stats that he'll he'll go over. Yeah, so, um, I mean, we all know that gun violence is an epidemic in our country and in our state. A lot of folks don't know to the extent, um, but 100 per day gun deaths uh, in the U.S. So in an average year, 37,603 people die by guns in the United States. So that's... 
that's huge, obviously. Um, we have 59% of female intimate partner homicide victims in the United States are killed with a firearm. Um, firearms are the leading cause of death among children and teens in the U.S. So I know this is something that has made the news over the past year. I didn't know that. Um, it's surpassed car accidents. Though. Wow. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So it is the number one death. Um, an average of 13,890 people in the United States die by gun homicide every year. And an average of 22,926 people in the U.S. die by gun suicide every year. Um, so, and here, here's, a, here's a number to really think about. In the U.S., there is an average of 23 minutes between gun suicide deaths. Oh, wow. So every 23 minutes. So by the time we finish this podcast. Correct. Wow. Yes. Beginning to end, that's two different yeah. deaths right there. Correct. And then in Oklahoma, it, it doesn't get any better. Um, so an average of, uh, an average, in an average year, 686 people die by guns in Oklahoma. Um, 68% of all gun deaths in Oklahoma are suicides. So that's something, so when there's a mass shooting, it gets a lot of publicity, mm -hmm. um, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But what we're not seeing on the media or the story that a lot of people aren't telling or hearing is the everyday gun violence that goes on. And a big part of that is suicides. Um, and what goes into that is accessibility to firearms. Yeah. So for folks who are going through a mental health crisis, um, how accessible is a firearm to them, especially a handgun? Um, in Oklahoma, 72, I'm sorry, 71% of intimate partner gun homicide victims were women. So that's a huge issue in Oklahoma. Um, we also have um, Firearms in Oklahoma are the second leading cause of death among children and teens. And in Oklahoma, an average of 55 children and teens die by guns every year. 52% of those deaths are suicides. Um, wow. So I could yeah. go on and on. This, yeah. And I was talking with Beth about this earlier. You know, you can't solve a problem until you understand it. And in order to understand it, you have to research it and you have to have the data, you have to have the facts. Mm -hmm. And firearm and gun violence in the U.S. and in Oklahoma is a large enough epidemic that a lot of research and money has been poured into that. So we have the data. We have the facts. We know how we can correct this and how we can end gun violence. There's no mystery to it, although some folks would like you to believe that there's nothing we can do. There is. There's a lot we can do. And the, the data and the research supports those solutions. You mentioned many earlier with the League of Women Voters. We have to get our elected officials to get out of the pockets of the gun lobbies and the manufacturers and get them to pass some gun sense legislation so we can... We have to get our, our citizens to vote for gun policy also. And the one other thing I'll just mention on what Mason said is it's very important to look at the number of deaths. But beyond that, there's um, injuries. There's people who experience gun violence. It, it ripples out. And so 
looking at deaths is important and we absolutely should do that, but you can't only look at that to tackle this epidemic of gun violence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. Um, So I do have a thought to to follow up on that, but do your numbers show like a parallelism between the suicides in Oklahoma compared to the United States by by gun death? Yes. Or by gun? Correct. So uh, on average, so in Oklahoma, um, a rate of 11.5 suicides per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in the United States, we've got right here an average of 6.7 suicides per 100,000. So we're almost double. Is for the U.S. 11.5 per 100,000 for Oklahoma. So almost double the national average. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. There's about half of Oklahoma homes have firearms. Um, And again, like a lot of people have guns and I'm not opposed to that. Um, The organizations we belong to aren't opposed to gun ownership. We just want people to be responsible and also take measures to keep them out of hands of dangerous people. Yeah. Yeah. So what you were saying a minute ago, what it made my brain go to is like the trickle down effect the intersectionality of it. And I know plenty of black men in Oklahoma who have friends that they grew up with that have passed. And then just the the psychological effect of that. And then not only that, but even that passes down to their kids, even though they're yeah. still living, that, that you have to deal with you know, if you have three or four different friends that have passed away, because we all know that the numbers are greater in the black community, that the it's trauma and you're trickling this trauma down to your kids and then how they are raised and then however they are raised, you know, the nature yeah. versus nurture type thing, then that's going to pass down to their kids. So, yeah, it's definitely a trickle down effect that we de- we need to be paying attention to. And bro- yeah. Can I mention something to that mm-hmm. point? Um, and it, it affects all of us because the fact of the matter is, you're no longer safe when you go to the to the mall, to an outlet mall, yeah. to a church, to a movie theater, to school, on and on and on, to a parade. So regardless of if you know someone personally that's been affected or you have personally been affected by gun violence, even when you go somewhere and there's a large crowd and you have that thought in the back of your head, you know, what do I do? I have my kids here. What if something happens? That's a horrible way for us to live and, and, and in a, in the land of the free, we should not be scared to go to a parade or to go to the mall or the movie theater. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mentality. Um, the two other things that I think about in my head is that we, I believe we're number one for police, um, uh, gun deaths and then also domestic violence overall. We're just yeah. number one for domestic violence. So how does gun play play into that? Do you know? Well, with domestic violence, um, it is allowing folks who have a record of domestic violence to own a firearm. Um, and that is, as we know, a tragic combination. So this uh, Beth is going to speak to this, I think, in a minute regarding a Supreme Court case that's going to be heard. Mm-hmm. But we need to keep firearms out of hands of people who are dangerous, such as domestic violence um, abusers, 
as well as folks that maybe are just having a rough spot in their life and are having maybe some um, either some trauma or some maybe some mental health issues. You know, there are folks that we need to make sure are safe and that people around them are safe. And without any laws to do that or to regulate that, it is impossible. And that's why we're we're number one. And I mean, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I actually have an abusive partner. And so I did not know until Beth told me, you guys, the other day, um, and I, I typed it here. It says that there is no state law to prohibit prohibit possession by abusive partners under protective orders. And that there is a case that she's going to talk about. Like, yeah. that is crazy to me. So my ex could legally have a gun. So there's a federal law. Um, it was recently struck down by a district court. So if you live in Texas, Louisiana, or Mississippi, that federal law has been struck down. Um, it was a pretty egregious decision that I'll try to give an overview for. I'm not an attorney, but right. I do read more legal articles than I should. Um, so the the U.S. Attorney General asked the Supreme Court to hear this case, mm -hmm. and they probably would have anyway, because anytime a district court strikes down a federal law, that kind of puts it in, um, I mean, the Supreme Court has to be pretty selective, but, but they almost always hear those cases. So... I'm just going to give it like a quick uh, summary of where we stand with um, gun laws as the Supreme Court has impacted them. There was a pivotal decision, Heller, in 2008. This was the first time that they ruled that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to own firearms. And it was stemmed from um, there was a handgun ban in the District of Columbia um, so that's kind of what prompted that case. Um, even, you know, super liberal Justice Scalia said that, you know, that doesn't mean you can carry any gun anywhere, anytime by anyone, okay. you know. So even even Scalia at the time put down, you know, regulations are, are allowed and appropriate. Um, then 14 years later, so just last summer, they did a, a case, a Bruin decision and this struck down a century-old law from um, New York that would, it required people to demonstrate a proper cause to obtain a concealed carry license. And what they said, um, that they said that law is unconstitutional because there's, a, you know, a right to self-defense. And also they, they changed the structure on how courts decided. They used to look at you know, is this a right that's protected by the Second Amendment? And then they would also look at if there was a justifiable interest, like in public safety. So they had kind of a two-prong approach. And what they did is they said, you can no longer look at if there's a justified interest like public safety. So you have to find some historical, historic analogous law to justify having a regulation today. Um so that brings us to the case that's coming up um, where the district court, um, I think it was the Fifth Circuit Court, um, ruled this federal law unconstitutional. And they did it in this really crazy way. Um, they said, instead of looking at historical precedent to show it over history, we, of course, have always prohibited 
people that are dangerous from carrying firearms. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they said is, you know what? But we haven't, there is no historical precedent for prohibiting someone who poses a danger to an individual. Mm. So, I mean, it was, it was completely egregious. Um, I, I actually think, and I want to give people hope, um, on a previous decision, um, Justice Kavanaugh and Roberts kind of filed their separate concurring opinion, which means we agree with the majority, but there's a few other things that we want to say. And they added in about how, um, they, they seem to indicate that they do support some regulations on firearms. Um, so I'm actually really hopeful when this case is called Rahimi, um, when it, when it comes up, they'll start hearing it probably in October and then next summer, they always come out with their decisions in the summer. So next summer, hopefully they will provide clarification that yes, it's okay to prohibit dangerous people um, from having firearms, including those who are subject to domestic violence protection orders. Um, yeah. It's very interesting. I, like, I'm trying to think of it from both sides. Yeah. You know, I think that the number one thing that I hear from people who are gun advocates is, well, all these other people have guns. So if something happens and then I don't have a gun, then I can't protect myself. And so that's where I struggle with I'm not going to say with agreeing with them, but no, it's like that. You, what's the right decision? Yeah. So this is kind of where I come down on it. If you have demonstrated that you threaten people, yes, then you don't get that right, right to carry a firearm around to protect yourself because the the balance has shifted and there's actually more evidence to show that you carrying a firearm would actually be less safe That's right. than you carrying one. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I come down. Yeah, and that's a great point and a great question by you is that, you know, if you look at the states that have the most common sense gun laws, right, the most gun restrictions, mm-hmm. they also have the lowest gun violence and gun crime. And if you look at states that have the least gun restrictions, um, those states have the highest level of gun crime and gun deaths, Oklahoma being one of those. Mm -hmm. So the argument, well, more guns makes us safer is not correct because if you look at those statistics, again, it all comes, we have the data, it's there. We just need to act on it. If you look at the number of guns and gun regulations a state has, it's directly proportionate to the the gun violence and the gun deaths. So more guns, the more gun violence, more gun deaths, more gun suicides, on and on and on. Um, And the argument as far as, you know, if everyone's got a gun Mm -hmm. and there's somebody at the mall Mm -hmm. who who starts shooting, Mm -hmm. well, now you have a whole mall full of people pulling out guns, yeah. right? And trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But now you have, a, you're going to have a lot more collateral damage, they call it, right? Innocent people that are going to get caught in that crossfire. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, we don't have any regulations on our guns. So that means everyone can go buy a gun. That doesn't mean you know how to use it. So we need folks that are trained in those situations and how to use those guns. And that's their job, right? Uh, Security officers that are armed, police officers, um, so on and so forth. That's all they do. So they know intimately about how to use a gun safely. They know about 
um, how to handle those types of situations. But when you have a, a mall full of people with guns that, you know, shoot maybe once a year. And <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. that's a, that, that's going to, uh, cause a lot more, yeah. um, uh, casualties. So I think about vigilantism, yeah. people with that mindset, like I'm going to go save the world, but it can be very dangerous because you don't want everybody being a vigilante. So yeah, Correct. I totally, I like what you said about having a certain people trained so that, you know, if they happen to be in the area and something happens and they are the ones that take care of the situation. Well, they don't happen to be in the area. You can put those folks in that area. So mm -hmm. you can pay more and invest more in people that that is their job. You know, it shouldn't be everyone's job to save a mall full to be of a vigilante. people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Cool. 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 I absolutely agree with that. Um, but tell me about um, there's a film of uh, murdered and missing indigenous women that's yeah. connected to gun violence. I just saw this this week at a screening. Um it's called Who She Is, and it's made by Caldera Productions. You can check out their website, calderaproductions.com. It is in a style, there's a narrator. I mean, um, they think there's four women or their family members who are relaying their story. Um, and it doesn't just tell the story of what happened to them. It tells who they are and were. It's done just beautifully. There's a narrator and then like a graphical representation of what's happening. It's just, it's beautifully done. It's very moving. Um, and we're going to try to get this film. We're going to try to organize some showings around the state, maybe in a few in-person locations and possibly even a virtual one. So stay tuned, check out this website. Um, they have a trailer that you can watch on the website, but the film again is who she is. I think it's just a great title because again, it, a lot of times with um, intimate partner violence and gun violence stories, you know, people are drawn to, you know, how they were killed, mm -hmm. which that is kind of a natural inclination. And there's things that you can learn from how people were killed, but the impact on the families is, is huge. And it's, the hole that people leave in those lives and the role that they served in their family, um, what they brought to their family, the interconnections. So it, um, there's more to just the story than, than what happens to people in their last few minutes of life. Mm -hmm. Is that the case with school gun violence as well? Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize in, well, I guess I'll start out by saying we talked about how this like ripple effect there's now since Columbine, I haven't checked the stats lately, but it hovers, it's up to about 350,000 kids in the U.S. since Columbine have had an active shooter at their school. What? Yeah. Not even, not even that they know someone who, but at their school. And that this number just keeps growing. So I, I kind of feel like once these kids grow up, and get into office, maybe some things will change because it's happened at their schools. Mm -hmm. um, and people don't realize even, um, I was talking with uh, Beth Hewson the other day and her sister, Dr. Stephanie Hewson, is one that was killed at St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa about a year ago. And, you know, there were people in that building 
you know, when it went into lockdown mm-hmm. and they're, you know, hiding in some closet for two hours. I mean, they survived, um, thankfully, but that impact is just, it stays with people. It's yeah. very, very traumatic. Um, I can't imagine going back to school after a school shooting. I know. Like for years, I don't think that I could do yeah. it. I don't. I think I would yeah. be permanently homeschooled after that. And they have know. these drills, right? <laughs> We've all heard about these drills that kids have to go through now. And that in in of itself can be yeah. traumatic for kids because they have questions. Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a tornado drill or an earthquake drill, I'm from California originally, so earthquake drill. Um, <laughs> I remember I'm hiding under the desk. <laughs> yeah, you get it. You know what it's for. But, you know, when you're hiding and the door is locked and all of these things and the lights are off, what are we doing? What are we hiding from? Right. And yeah. that's a hard conversation uh, to have. Yeah, I think prevention goes a long way for school shootings. And again, I just want to emphasize they're incredibly rare and incredibly terrorizing. Um But most school shooters, I think is maybe like three-fourths, anyway, a vast majority of them get the gun from their home or the home of a friend or family member. Mm -hmm. So it is always the responsibility of the adult to secure the firearm, and that is not the bedside drawer. You know, if kids know where the Christmas gifts are, you know they know where the firearms are. So young kids are curious and older kids are determined So even if you teach them gun safety, they are just as likely to handle guns. And that doesn't matter at all if you've got a determined teenager who wants to end their life. Um, So we uh, there's another organization called Be Smart where we promote um, secure storage because, again, it is always the job of the adult. That is not a kid's responsibility to know when to handle a gun. And so that will reduce um, unintentional shootings and um, suicide predominantly. It also impacts um, school shootings, but that's that's a smaller sliver of the other gun violence that happens when kids get access to firearms. There was just recently um, um, an off-duty police officer's kids were in a car in a Walmart parking lot And they got access to an unsecured firearm in the vehicle. And um, one of them shot the other one. I think he survived, or I don't know the gender of the kid. But anyway, like it can happen to anybody. And cars are a big part. A lot of guns get stolen out of cars. There's really easy biometric safes. You put your fingerprint on. It's so easy. You've, You've purchased a gun. You can spend you know, like 50 bucks and get a safe that works in a vehicle or in your home. And so is the company called Secure Storage or you're just talking in general? Yeah, that's just the, the term the phrase for, for it is yeah. to get secure storage. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So, no, no, no. Some people call it safe storage and we <laughs> prefer the term secure storage mm-hmm. because, you know, it's it's never 100 percent safe. You know, right. it's but right. But you can do things to to make it more secure. Mm-hmm. And to your point, um, the most common locations of firearm related deaths were apartment or home. And that's 73.9 percent in Oklahoma of gun deaths are in a home or apartment. So what that means is these are people who have access to a firearm to that unsecure. at that time. Mm-hmm or that age, or that mental state should not have had access to a firearm. They're unsecured. So 
So it's very important if you are a gun owner that you secure your firearms and you make sure that people who shouldn't have access to them do not have access to them because that's almost 74% of the deaths are in a home. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't take a big imagination to figure out what happens to a firearm that gets stolen from a vehicle. Like, you know. At all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So wrapping this up, um, tell me who Joaquin Oliver is and what is it? Guacathon? Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Yes. What is Guacathon? So I've been getting that question a lot for the past few weeks. Um, So Manny and Patricia Oliver are the parents of Joaquin Oliver. And Joaquin went by Guac. uh, He was affectionately known as Guac. Um, he was murdered at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, uh, during that massacre. Um, so after that, this family decided to uh, take action, and they started an organization called Change the Ref. And Change the Ref is just what we're talking about today, promoting common sense gun legislation and trying to end gun violence. Um, they don't want another family to go through what they went through, losing their son. Um, so they started Change the Ref, and for what would have been Joaquin's 23rd birthday, they're doing a 23-city tour. Mm-hmm. They have a school bus that they have converted into a tour bus, and they're going from city to city um, holding, we call it kind of like a pop-up rally, so holding rallies from city to city just to bring awareness to gun violence and solutions to end gun violence. And really, they're, they're such a neat family. They are very artistic. Um, and so the way that they are approaching this is very out of the box. Yeah. A lot of art, a lot of performance, a lot of music. And they're really trying to activate the next generation of change makers to get involved um, and to, you know, pass that torch on to them. Um, because like Beth alluded to earlier, that's how we're going to change this. And that's how we're going to turn this around. It's going to be, unfortunately, it's going to be the next generation. And we need voters that are activated, that are educated, and that are tired of of gun violence and, and have grown up in this new America that they call normal and we don't call normal. Um, so they are going to be stopping in Oklahoma City, and we are very lucky to have Scissortail Park um, working with us. So they are going to be parking the bus at Scissortail Park on the uh, 30th of this month, so the last Sunday of this month, and they'll be there from 4 to 6 p.m. So again, Sunday, uh, the 30th of this month, between 4 and 6, and the, the bus is going to be parked on the northeast corner of Scissortail Park. So right across from the Omni Hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to have faith leaders. We're going to have politicians. We're going to have activists. We're going to have performers. We're going to have artists. We're going to have concerned citizens. Anybody who cares about this issue and wants to see an end to gun violence, uh, we we would love for you to show up and support this family. Um, The Olivers are, like I said, they're amazing people. They're doing amazing work. And my goal for the Guacathon in Oklahoma City, I want to blow them. I mean, I want them to just be like, I think the whole state showed up for this because 
the reality of gun violence is the majority of Americans agree that it needs to change and we need gun sense laws and we need our legislators to change that. Um, Which we will have voter registration also yes. at Guacathon if there's a few people out there who haven't registered. So. Yes. And you can register to vote Yes, on, you can do it online now? too. Yep. How old was Joaquin um, during the shooting? 17. I believe, yeah, 17. And it was on, uh, it was on Valentine's Day. Oh, so, wow. Yes, it was on Valentine's Day. Oh, boy. And so you'll see in a lot of their performance street art they do, you'll see flowers involved. Um, because I think he took flowers to give to his girlfriend to, at school that day. Yeah. How sad. Yeah. How sad. Yeah. Well, I thank you guys for coming here. Um, the Moms Demand Action Information um, and the uh, Who She Is. Mm -hmm. Do you have the website information or a link um, that you can share yeah. right now? For Who She Is, go to Caldera. C-A-L-D-E-R-A productions.com and they've got some other films there too but you can look up who she is um, and then momsdemandaction.org you can sign up there or text join to 64433 and then for change the ref it's just change the ref all one word dot org and you can get more information on that organization and the guacathon tour yeah they're on social media too and I would encourage anybody who's interested to look them up because they just stopped in Uvalde. They started in Parkland and they've been working their way around. They went to Uvalde, um, Tucson. You know, they're they're going all around. They've got great posts and information there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, you guys go check out that video. Go join Moms Demand Action and then show up at Scissor Tail on July the 30th, a Sunday at 4 p.m. for two whole hours, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Y'all can do that for us. And thank you for listening. Have a good Thursday. Bye. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.